did we come to New York for? Well, uh, to advance ourselves, to meet the best people, and to do big things. Is that right? That's right. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Black Case Diaries podcast. I'm not going to cheer this time. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Robin. I'm here with... Adam. And Marcy. Yay. Hooray. Oh, shit. (laughs) (laughs) It's because of me. I'm I'm a natural leader. I I do it, and then Adam does it. Damn it. Yep, you know. (laughs) It's habit now. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So today we're doing something a little special, a little different than what we normally Mm -hmm. cover. We are we do a lot of film stuff and a lot of film history and today we're going to go back a little farther than normal in honor of March being Women's Month, uh-huh. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're doing a special history episode about women in comedy, very specifically two women in comedy. And uh, let's just get started. Yeah. Let's do it, shall we? Right. So, you guys have heard it, right? I've heard it from people I know and people I don't know. Women aren't funny. Have you guys ever heard that? I have. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. There, there have been a lot of uh, uh, talkings of that <laughs> in recent times. Yeah, I've heard it a lot. I didn't hear it very much when I was a kid, but I've heard it a lot more as an adult. So every once in a while, I hear that, and it makes me a little angry. And uh, a couple of reasons. One, I'm a woman. Obviously, that's going to cause a little bit of tension yeah. when, I'm, when I hear that. And two, because I think it's an incredibly unfair thing to say. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So every once in a while, a movie will come out that proves, I'm doing air quotes, that <laughs> proves the hilarity of women. Bridesmaids, Mean Girls, Girls Trip, and Booksmart all made it to the top of the list in terms of groundbreaking female-led comedies. They did, because they were very funny movies. Mm-hmm. And they did, they did great things. They, I mean, to, today, still, Bridesmaids, people still talk about how that oh, yeah. broke so much ground, how that was so interesting. The raunchy, rated R, female-led comedy was not a thing, and then Bridesmaids, right? So uh, that's still talked about. All of those, all of those movies. And the movies didn't only showcase women in comedic roles, they were also written by women, except for Girls, Girls Trip, which was co-written by a man. But a very funny man. Kenya Barris, so. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Women have been making audiences laugh for a long time, even if it doesn't seem that way. In the silent film era, female comedians like Mabel Normand wrote and directed comedic films and starred alongside Charlie Chaplin and the Keystone Cops. You guys know who the Keystone Cops are. Yeah. Right? (laughs) Bumbling fools. Yeah, exactly. What are you? The Keystone Cops. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, we know who Charlie Chaplin is. Right. 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 What? But only because our, well, you know. The, oh, the, oh, the RDJ thing. Yeah, right? yeah, just because RDJ played him. That's oh, how we know okay. who he is. Oh, duh, yeah. We, we wouldn't have known him on his own or anything. Oh, no. no. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the comedic women from this era made a successful transition to talkies, such as, such as the innovative and hilarious Zezu Pitts and Thelma Todd. Oh. Hooray. And that's who we're talking about today. Uh-huh. Yes. Gotcha. That's it. Today we are going to discuss how this duo came to be, the lives of the individual women, and their lasting impact. So up until this point, there really there had been women and even women duos in silent films and maybe a little bit in talkies, but not very much. This was the first time, this comedy duo was the first time that there was a really popular, at least fairly popular, 
female comedy duo. Mm-hmm. It was a pretty big deal. Mm-hmm. Yay. Zesu Pitts and Thelma Todd were the first major female comedy team with shorts produced by Hal Roach Studios. Hal Roach Studios was a television and motion picture studio. It was the greatest comedy studio, studio of the 1930s, though people tended to look down on comedy shorts as not real cinema. What a shame. I mean, that's still... I, I really feel like that's still a thing that happens today. Yeah, unfortunately, like, can't think of really the last true comedy to be nominated for something like a Best right. Picture, right? I mean... There are, com- like, comedic movies that do... Straight comedies that do get nominated mm-hmm. very rarely for Best Picture or that kind of thing. Usually, it's for the actors in it. Right. Mm-hmm. For example, Tropic Thunder. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, yes. Robert Downey Jr. was nominated for an Oscar for Tropic Thunder. That's, I mean, and that that kind of happens. The mm-hmm. the comedy nominations for actors, that's, that's not that, you know, rare. Mm-hmm. But with Best Picture and that kind of thing, yeah, it's it's not like... Right. The, the movie <laughs> as a whole... Yeah. It's just like, oh, it's a funny flick with some, <laughs> with some good actors mm-hmm. in it, but... It's just entertainment. Yeah, yeah. Those... Just entertainment. <laughs> the, the, the Academy doesn't approve. But it, it entertains the masses and it keeps them happy, which is a really good thing, yeah. especially in the 1930s when America was going through some shit. <laughs> like, what, what are you talking about? Yeah, what could possibly have been happening in the 1930s? <laughs> Patsy Kelly, who worked for Hal Roach, said that he was the best boss she had ever had. And she also said, quote, that she had had a lot of bosses. <laughs> really, it's really nice to know that he was actually yeah a nice guy, decent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's good. Good person. Hal Roach was known for teaming up Laurel and Hardy, as well as a group of children that would become known as the Little Rascals. Oh hey. Aww. Yeah, he did the R Gang shorts, which were very popular and uh, obviously still well known. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, we all know. We all know who Alfalfa is. Mm-hmm. So, and also with Laurel and Hardy, you know, we talked about them last year. My dad was on the show. We had a big old discussion about them. They're also very, very popular. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Ever since Hal Roach struck gold with Laurel and Hardy, he wanted to create a female counterpart. He had had success with female comedians in the past, and it seemed like a no-brainer that audiences would embrace two funny leading ladies. So these two women, up to this point, had been funny supporting actresses, but he saw these two and knew, you know, these women could carry something on their own. And that was happening a lot more in the silent film era, but at that point, in the early 30s, it wasn't as big of a thing that was happening. So, But there were strong female comedians that were popular before this time. Yes. The issue with the male-led comedies was that women weren't finding the slapstick antics very funny. In the 1930s, the majority of women felt that their job was to keep order in households and in daily lives, so they didn't think it was funny to make fun of that. Yeah, I mean... Or to, you know, they, or at least they thought, well, this isn't for me. Yeah, I'm... I'm not supposed to think this is funny because this isn't... <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That can mean a lot of difference. To, yeah. To be told, this is what you're supposed to like for so long, and then, you know, it's going to have an effect on you. Right. If you can't relate to the comedy or, or the humor, then obviously it's not going to hit with you. Yeah. You know, if you want to keep your 
house in order or that's kind of one of your <laughs> and your main piano thoughts. intact yes. and, yeah, exactly. I have to tell you guys I will watch comedies and I love comedies oh yeah and mm-hmm. I, I watch them and when I ha- well, see houses get destroyed and stuff it actually really bothers me <laughs> like when, I'm always thinking about oh god that is gonna take so much time to clean up seriously <laughs> not just time money I mean, that's gonna what, be so much what, money yeah. what would you what would you call those kinds of comedies that things just constantly go wrong throughout the whole movie it's like it's like a trains planes and automobiles or a trooper by the dozen i don't know if there's a word for them i mean it's snowball okay yeah they're they're like they just they have the snowball effect where things just get worse and worse Mm -hmm. but i don't okay (laughs) well we'll call it a snowball comedy for for this for the purposes of this but I still, to this day, have a hard time watching those. <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. things constantly going wrong. And whether, sometimes, yeah. Whether it's slapsticky or not, mm-hmm. so I just feel too much anxiety mm-hmm. and so much stress about the aftermath of all crazy. that. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, I can't. It's and, and that's something I think that that trope, where things get worse and worse, lends itself way better to the shorts than it does to full-length movies because mm-hmm. it does get old. Yes. I think. I agree. Film critic Leonard Moulton pointed out, comedians cannot use the same material as comedians and get the same results. That is the word mm-hmm. for female comedians is comedians, but that word is being phased out. It's considered to be a little old now and we're not going to be using it. It's redundant at this point. Yeah. (laughs) So we're, you know, but he is saying that female comedians cannot be put in the exact same situations as male comedians and have the same results. So whether or not you agree with this state sentiment, it seems to be a prevailing belief in the film industry, especially since the time of Pitts and Todd. It's it's interesting to think about because it's so gray, I think, because in some cases, I kind of agree that it would be a bad idea to just plop a, a woman into a scenario and have everything happen the same way and see, uh-huh. because because they are men and women are different and they're going to react differently in different situations, right? right? Mm-hmm. So just having a female in the same situation expected to be the same level of funny or the same exact reaction Mm -hmm. to whatever's happening is completely unrealistic. Right. But there is something to say that you could put a woman in a similar situation to a man and her her reaction may be different or, or Mm -hmm. she may go about it a different way, have a different solution to the problem. Right. And it could still be funny. Yeah. You know, it's not that black and white, right? You can't just do it or not do it. I think there are different situations where it would work and it wouldn't work. Yeah. I I think that you could gender swap characters. Mm -hmm. I think that it's more important that the character, how the character acts is true to the actual character than it is to whether or not the character is a man or a woman. So. Mm You know, so if you are going to switch them, is if you're going to switch a male character and make him a woman, mm-hmm. if you give him, give her exactly the same personality traits and exactly the same yeah. features, style, I, I think that it would be fine if they reacted to things the same way. If it's a topic that has nothing to do with gender, mm-hmm. then it should be fine. You right. Know? It, yeah. If the topic has to do with it, 
yeah in the first place then it's mm-hmm. then it's important right but i was thinking about you know movies like super bad yeah for example you know how would a mainstream audience react to two young women that just want to get laid versus two young boys that just want to get laid you know what they yeah. you know what i mean the exact same the I, majority I, yeah is very and it's it's, it kind of makes your head hurt because you hear this and you think it should work right it should be allowed like women have sexual freedom now you know you think oh this should be okay but i just that's the kind of thing that even though maybe it should work Mm -hmm. it's not going to be as popular you know you know there's an unfortunate trope about it where it's kind of like a comp like whether something is funny or not in a sexual harassment kind of way, right? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. If you look at a man who's oh, doing yeah. something in in a sexual harassing way, that's oh, that's bad. He's a he's a horrible person. He's being abusive to that woman. Mm-hmm. But then you flip it, and this woman is like pinning a man down in a chair or whatever. Oh, f- look at this guy! Is oh, is that so funny <laughs> that she's doing that to him? That always makes me uncomfortable. And it's like, what yeah. the hell? Why? You know? Why is yeah. Why is that? Why is it funny that time? It's still the, it's the same abuse. Mm-hmm. Why is it funny just because a woman is doing it? Yeah. And I guess it has to do with like, well, the man could obviously throw her off if he wanted to. It's it's funny because he's letting her and he's mm-hmm. acting like he doesn't want it or something like that. Some, oh, yeah. some yeah. garbage it's, along it's, those lines. It's funny. It's supposed to be funny because mm-hmm. it's showing us a power shift. Yeah. It's flipping the script. I suppose. But I think there are better ways you could go about it. Right. Mm-hmm. Pitts and Todd weren't the first women that Roach teamed up, but they were the first ones that got the attention of the masses. Mm-hmm. That's to- what you want. Yeah. Together they <laughs> made 17 two real comedies before Pitts left the studio and was replaced by Patsy Kelly. Oh. Yeah. So but we're just going to talk about those their, those comedies that they made together mm-hmm. before, the, before the days of Patsy Kelly, though. I will say Patsy Kelly was very funny and she did a great job. Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we talk about the shorts themselves, we're going to take a look at their lives. Zaysu Pitts, we're going to talk about her first. Zaysu Pitts' name was Eliza Susan Pitts. Her nickname came from the last syllable of her first name and the first syllable of her middle name. I've heard it many different ways, but she insisted that it was pronounced Zaysu. And that's how Thelma pronounces it in the, in the skits. Mm-hmm. So that's what we're going to say today. Yeah, we're going to we say Zaysu. Um, (laughs) so Zaysu was a shy child but she was encouraged to join the theater to overcome her shyness she learned quickly that her nervous facial expressions and mannerisms would be great for comedy at age 21 she went to Hollywood and made a name for herself in comedy and drama her forlorn expressions were especially helpful in dramatic productions though her drama career did not last one thing that they both of these women had in common was that they did not really want to be comedic actors, hmm. especially Zesu. At least she wanted to do both, maybe. Mm-hmm. People just thought she was funny. She, it's almost like she was cursed with being funny. I don't know. Aww. You know, it's just one of those things. <laughs> yeah. She just couldn't. People just didn't take her very seriously because she looked silly and acted silly. She had this very, she this voice was kind of dithery, I guess, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she just had a comedic way about her. And she was, she was very good as a comedian. And that was really what people saw her for. Zaysu's forlorn expression was especially helpful in dramatic productions, though her drama career did not last. Some, even Zaysu herself thought that her shy demeanor and unglamorous looks, I put that in quotations, 
mm-hmm. were negative qualities. Zesu took those parts of herself and used them to advance her career in comedy. So she made the best of a bad situation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they people thought that her being backward and she and part of the reason that she was good in comedy was that she would go on stage and she was so nervous mm-hmm. that she would, you know, she would twitch and she would act strange and people thought it was funny and so she was like, "Okay, I'll just I'll play into it." Yeah, I'll just package this. But by the mid-1920s, Zesu was a well-established actress. In 1924, she appeared in 10 films alone. 10 films in one year. Wow. Dang. Yeah. That's a lot of work. Yeah. One of them was Greed, an epic drama. The director of that film believed that she was the greatest dramatic actress at the time and claimed it was a tragedy every time she was cast in a comedy. Wow, that's high praise. Yeah, Yeah. he felt that it just wasn't, comedies were not showing her range, showing what a great actor she could be. Wow. He cast her in a few more films, but, you know, comedy is really where she ended up. When movies made the transition to sound, Pitts couldn't seem to continue as a dramatic actress. She was even replaced in All Quiet on the Western Front when she unintentionally made the audience laugh. So she was in this movie. Oh, no. And they did screenings, did some test screenings, and audiences laughed when they saw her. And it was not supposed to be supposed to be a drama, and so they cut her, replaced her with a different actress. Yeah. That is a big bummer because that's a famous movie. Yeah. 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 That sucks. I mean, do you think if she was already in comedies at that point, maybe people just saw her and were like, oh, comedy time. Yeah. Maybe that that was part of it. I mean, I just know that that was, she considered that, she was very, very upset about it. It was one of the biggest disappointments of her career. Yeah, I can imagine. When that happened. So I, I know that it really bothered her. Pitts leaned into comedy and made the best of a bad situation. She appeared in shorts and comedic features until 1931 when she got paired with the bombshell comedian Thelma Todd. So the reason I wanted to talk about her first is because she is the one that people don't know about. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. 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 Zaysu Pitts is the one that people, she's a little more obscure and it's hilarious because it was even so back then in the 1930s and there's even jokes about it in the shorts about how Thelma is this beautiful blonde and uh, you know she's confident and sexy and men like her and then you've got Zesu who is shy and just you know obviously not nearly as beautiful as Thelma Todd, yeah. which is, you know, I mean, honestly, I think they look absolutely pre- ridiculous. Yeah. I think they yeah. both look really good. Yes. And, uh, but this is, you know, this, this is the whole thing, you know, that it has been a long, there's a long storied history of women that don't, if they don't look the way that the world absolutely thinks, perfect. Yeah, yeah. The way that the world thinks is beautiful at that moment in time. They should go into comedy, right? <laughs> if you're not a yeah. supermodel, then you're a comedian. Mm-hmm. Part of it, too, because comedians are people who generally do really well with self-deprecating humor. So if a woman doesn't think of herself as beautiful, she can make lots of jokes about it and not really hurt her feelings. You know, mm-hmm. It doesn't really bother her when people laugh at those jokes. When you put it like that, I'm still not like happy about it. I mean, it's not. Yeah, it's not <laughs> it's great. Like, uh... <laughs> 
I but mean, it's no. the same way. But I would say this is not just a female thing. It's the same way for oh, men. Oh yeah. You know, I feel like Seth Rogen. Yes. And, and that whole group, kind of Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Mm-hmm. They're like, we're not the most beautiful, but mm-hmm. we're pretty funny. We do our own right. thing. <laughs> right. And then you've got beautiful people that have made their way into comedy, like Zac Efron. Yeah. I'm glad that he can laugh at himself. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he I'm... seems like a pretentious douche. Right, but then... But, but when then he's in comedies, it's like we he's like He's really him. not. Yeah. yeah. So I wanted to talk more about her. I just wanted to talk about her first because I felt like she deserved the, a little bit of time in the spotlight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She's the Anna and Thelma uh, Todd yes, is the Elsa. Yes, Thelma Todd is the Elsa. <laughs> That's right. So next we'll talk about Thelma Todd. After the death of her brother when she was just four years old, Thelma Alice Todd wanted to be one of the boys to replace the son her parents lost. Oh, man. Zazu Pitts... She lost her father when she was young, and that had a, a tremendous impact on her life. Mm. And Thelma Todd, when she was four years old, her brother had a tragic accident. He fell into a creamery machine. Oh, my gosh. Um, and, you know, she ran to get help. People kind of speculated that she probably witnessed it when it happened. And, you know, and it probably traumatized her. And so when she was growing up, her parents were so devastated that they'd lost her brother. So she was, she became more like a tomboy. She wanted to be, she felt like she had to be a daughter and a son. And so she would play the sports, but she still had long golden hair. You know, she, she became that bridge between being able to run with the boys but still keeping feminine qualities, mm-hmm. which is a code that almost nobody ever cracks, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Hollywood's still working on it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> one example I'm thinking of is not in comedy, but in Jurassic World, mm-hmm. when uh, she runs from the T-Rex wearing high heels. Yeah. The, the, part of, the thing about it was that people thought it was absolutely ridiculous, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. And Chris Pratt even admonishes her throughout the movie for wearing heels and stuff. But the reason she keeps them on and she stays the way that she is is because women, the idea that women don't have to sacrifice mm-hmm. being a woman or whatever it is that you think it means to be a woman to be a badass. Yep. So, yeah. the, you know, it's still a tough code to crack. It's still, mm-hmm. and Thelma Todd kind of, you know, she was a good bridge. They're kind of getting there. Uh-huh. They're but trying. Yeah, it's not, we'll give but, a participation but, trophy. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, the, wow. I think they're doing a great job, Marcy. <laughs> but I guess I don't know. Um, uh, but I think Thelma Todd may be on a different level here. <laughs> <laughs> Thelma Todd was naturally funny and wanted to become a teacher. But after she won Miss Massachusetts in 1925, she was discovered by a talent scout and invited to study acting at the Paramount School in New York. And this was a kind of, this was like, they would just kind of pluck young actors and actresses from this school and put them into movies. Hmm. Just plop them on in. Nice. Well, shoot. <laughs> Is it that easy? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> After appearing in an Edwin comedy in 1927, Thelma Todd made her first Hollywood film. So she started to make films... And some of them were drama, some of them were comedies. She was, you know, kind of doing a little bit of both. But then her career was jeopardized when she was propositioned at a Hollywood party and fired from a movie because she said no. So when I say propositioned, you guys know what I mean, right? 
Someone yeah, wanted to sleep with her, yeah. and she said no. Yeah. And because she said no, she got fired. I don't need to tell you guys <laughs> <laughs> that, you know, this happened. This happened. Mm-hmm. Yes. And uh, it, it's very on character for Thelma Todd to have stood up for herself and said no. Mm-hmm. Uh, thanks, but no thanks. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think the thing about Thelma Todd that made her special was that acting wasn't her first choice. And she kind of felt like, you know, if I can't make it, I'll just do something else. Just as silent films became talkies, the freelancing Todd found her way to Hal Roach Studio, where she was cast in the first Laurel and Hardy talkie, Unaccustomed As We Are. It's a good one. Yes. Yeah. Very nice. I probably didn't realize at the time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Over the next few years, Todd found success alongside other comedians like Charlie Chase and Harry Langdon until Zasu Pitts found her way to Hal Roach in 1931. And the world changed forever. (laughs) (laughs) It was only the beginning. Pitts and Todd. Hal Roach believed that Thelma's brash, confident demeanor would play well off the shy Zasu. When the actresses met, they immediately became friends, and filming was easygoing on the sets. By the time these women worked together, Pitts was a screen veteran and Todd was an established comedian. Both knew what their skills were. Both knew their characters as well as themselves. So they pretty much played. That was the cool thing about being in these in these shorts was that you could kind of be yourself a little bit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you could. It was like they were kind of playing caricatures of themselves. And so Thelma Todd got to be this strong, confident woman and Zasu Pitts got to be this very shy, yeah, bit like, of a wallflower. Yeah, trying to follow her friend, yep. you know, and be a good friend, but still struggling with some of those social situations. Thelma played the wise girl, often finding a way to get them out of trouble. Zasu was the less intelligent, innocent woman who often got them into trouble. Now, when I say less intelligent, I do not mean that in a mean way. The way they were depicted was that it was kind of like she it's not that she was less intelligent. I don't think that's the right way to say it. It's more more like she was just more innocent mm-hmm. and Thelma was more worldly maybe, and maybe not quite as like street smart. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good you know, she doesn't she's not able to read the room quite as much. So, yeah, so, you know, Zaysu would always be the one. It, it was kind of, if you think about Laurel and Hardy, and you think about, you know, Thelma being more like Hardy, mm-hmm. Zaysu mm-hmm. being a little more like Laurel, and not exactly that way, but similar. Both women wanted the freedom to be in other projects, and Hal Roche granted that to them. So they had the ability to leave, they had the ability to go and do other things. He really was a good guy. Yep. He had no problem oh, letting them do that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah. In an era of the Three Stooges and Marx Brothers, these two women broke ground in comedy. Audiences saw these women in a new way. Remember when we said that women of the 1930s didn't appreciate slapstick? You guys remember that? We only said it a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Well, these two presented physical comedy in service of the female narrative. Although the shorts are, were still written by men, it was really the female leads that made them successful. Absolutely. And, you know, earlier we were talking about that film critic and how he said that, you, you know, doesn't really kind of work. You know, that was only the first half of what he said. The second half of what he said was these shorts, the reason they were successful is because of the women. 
the men at the time didn't really seem to know how to write women. And mm. sometimes that's still a little bit of an issue. But, mm-hmm. you know, because they were so good at acting it out mm-hmm. and adding their themselves to it, they made it, they made it work. Yep. The storylines may seem dated today, but by and large, they, they are still relatable. Thelma and Zasu are two modern, in quotations because it's the 1930s, modern women just trying to survive the big city. They have jobs, trouble with, troubles with men, and almost never have troubles with each other. They support <laughs> each other, and they aren't overly sexual or ditzy. These are women that could be living today. Absolutely. They, mm-hmm. You mentioned how um, if they're not ditzy, like a couple of times, I, I only saw a few of the shorts before we mm-hmm. started recording, but every time they were doing like a job or something like that, they were completely like they were on top of it. Yeah. Totally. Mm-hmm. Like they weren't, they weren't dumb mm-hmm. in any way. If, if anything, the men in these shorts were, idi- <laughs> were idiots, but, mm-hmm. but it's, it's. It's exactly that. It's, they could easily be living today. They, they're just the most normal, living the, living the normal lives, making the best of it, but yet stand out so yeah. well in this world that, that these shorts create where, you know, these women, you know, Thelma isn't going to take any crap and she's going to make sure her friend's okay too. She's going to pull her through and then her friend's like, just the best friend there's one example in a short that we're going to talk about later when they were laying in bed after (laughs) after a date or whatever yeah and they were just talking about it oh just another same old thing right Mm -hmm. and then they start riffing and uh listing off all these old other dates that they went on it's like oh you remember that one what about this one and they crack each other up and it's like (laughs) The friendship comes through so well there, and it's such this wonderful camaraderie. And I, I said out loud watching it, I said, oh, their laughter is so contagious. Because mm-hmm. I started laughing out of nowhere. Like, what they're saying isn't necessarily the funny bit. It's just them interacting that, that works so well. Yeah. So we're going to talk about a couple shorts yes. that they did. They did 17 of them, so we're not going to talk about all of them. But we're going to talk about a few. Let's first focus on Let's Do Things, their first short they did together in 1931. Hooray. Directed by Hal Roach. This is a great example of how the women were there for each other. Thelma urges Zezu to find out what her boyfriend intends for her. She ultimately stands up for Zezu after being treated horribly by men. So what happens in this short, guys? How does this... (sighs) So much. It's it's a series of unfortunate events (laughs) with horrible men. Mm-hmm. And that's that's that. <laughs> well, it starts out with with Thelma saying, "Hey, get rid of your awful boyfriend. Right. Mm-hmm. He doesn't treat you right." I've mm-hmm. forgotten his name. Milton. Milton. Thank you. I know he's so forgettable. <laughs> I mean, he really is. <laughs> but she's kind of with uh, Zaysu's kind of with this guy, and he yeah. walks all over her. Right. I mean. Mm-hmm. Her character is that she's kind of shy and wouldn't necessarily stand up for herself, but it's obvious that he's walking all over her, and it's not a healthy relationship. Yeah, very one-sided. Yeah. She's, she constantly is singing this song about how she loved him, you know, loved him when she first saw him and right. things yeah. like that. Yeah, and and everything is 
everything is fine in her world, but Thelma sees it like, no, are you yeah. kidding me? This guy's <laughs> this guy's awful. Get rid of him. <laughs> and um, they they go to this like dance party thing right mm-hmm. along with this awful doctor character <laughs> as Thelma's date but they go to this party and they seem like they just don't want to be there at all yes. you know I mean who yeah. does who wants to yeah. go to parties am I right exactly that's how I feel like, too poor Zesu had put like she she had to put on oh, these right. high heel shoes that were so uncomfortable and walk because like the guys decided oh we're gonna walk to this place and it's like ten miles away or a couple something blocks, or a but couple like blocks. way too many and so it's so she's relatable in pain I I yeah. felt her I yeah. felt it so bad I was like yeah oh, no. because she's polite yeah right mm-hmm. yeah she doesn't want to say anything about no. it because she doesn't and that and this is. That's why I love their personality so much because, mm-hmm. you know, Thelma is the more, she's the rose with thorns, you know? Yes, exactly. You know, she's she's going to say something. Exactly. She's going to stand up and, you know, Zaysu is more like, you know, well, I won't say anything. I won't say anything. It'll be fine. It reminded me of the same where it's always like, well, if there, you, you, there's got to be pain for beauty, you yep. know? Yep. Got to. Gotta have pain for beauty. Mm-hmm. And, and and it's very easy for anyone to get kind of rose-tinted glasses, right? Mm-hmm. Where you're kind of in a relationship or something that you think is fine or you're seeing all of the good in it. And yeah. You, don't, you can't see what's going on. And then a friend will be able to see it and tell you that we kind of <laughs> need some work to be done here. <laughs> but um, one of my favorite parts of this short is when Thelma decides like all right I'm getting rid of this doctor guy (laughs) and she pretends like she's had too many drinks she had like a a little shot of something out of a flask or but she's like I'm gonna make this guy I'm gonna show him I'm the toughest lady in town or something like that and she's just like pushing him around like oh you're not you're you think you're such a great doctor Meanwhile, <laughs> Zesu is accidentally drinking all of that flask. Her date tries to get them to dance, and she's fumbling. She doesn't have her shoes on. She's drunk, and it's a real, yes, <laughs> real yes. rough time. Yes, yeah. yeah. And it ends with the uh, with the terrible with the terrible boyfriend getting a pie in the face. Right. Give me a piece of that pie. Give me a piece of that pie. Right. And it's a real quick cut too. You know, you guys were talking about it before we recorded. You mm-hmm. both had very different interpretations of that ending. Yeah, it's a little interesting. Yeah. So my interpretation was that it seemed like he was going to propose. He was down on his knees or something, yeah. and he was saying something about, yeah, I want to say some, ask you something, and then he asks for the piece of pie. And so I li- he the entire episode, he really was very food oriented. He opened their fridge and took out all their food and just started eating their food, (laughs) which I was like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Uh, So I just thought that it meant that, you know, it seemed like he was going to propose and instead he asked for food. And so then Thelma was like, you jerk and threw a pie at him. Right. That was my interpretation. Adam. Um, (laughs) Mine was different. Um, I took it as him just just because he didn't seem like the most confident guy in the world. Mm. So he was sitting there with them at the end of the night kind of fumbling, you know, maybe nervous about asking, but I didn't take it as him about to propose or anything mm-hmm. like that. And then when he said, can I have a piece of that pie? 
I was like, oh, shit, he just asked her for sex. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. what an asshole. After the horrible <laughs> night you just gave her, you want that? And then Thelma right. splooshes yeah. him with the real pie. And I was like, oh, that's a funny thing because he was implying pie as sex. And then she yeah. hit him Had with a, a real pie. I think, yeah. And I think both of these in, in, like interpretations are valid. I think mm-hmm. they both mm-hmm. could be what they meant. Yeah. I, I do think that Dumble entendres were very popular at the time. So yeah. it is, it is, yeah. pop, it is possible that they were, you know, they it wanted us both. to think of yeah. sex when he said, oh, yeah. give me a piece of that pie. Mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that what you're saying, though, could also mm-hmm. be, yeah. you know. And when you say that the whole episode, he was a very hungry person and just eating all the time. That makes a lot of that makes a lot mm-hmm. of sense. Right. And looking back, it's like, oh, of course, he'd be asking for like a real piece of pie. Too. Yeah, mm-hmm. it makes sense. But like at the same time, him kind of noticing that she was drunk. Maybe trying to take advantage of yep. that. Yeah. Asking for sex at the end of the night, which was a real stupid thing for him to do. Obviously, right. deserve the pie in the face. Probably deserve an anvil to be in that pie also. <laughs> <laughs> or um, or, a, or a, an iron. An iron. what's in there. And it, his face becomes the shape of an iron. Yeah. Like a Tom and Jerry oh cartoon. Gosh. I think that yeah, would have been... <laughs> I think that would have been more of what he deserved. But, but it was pretty satisfying on the least. Nice. It is nice to hear a different different take on it yeah. mm-hmm. so that's that was let's do things we're gonna talk about on the loose a little bit so directed by hal roach this short had a cameo appearance from laurel and hardy Hooray! Yay. yeah this is an example of the women as a team in the first one we have what we just talked about zesu kind of gets them into that situation right where she's with this guy and she won't she won't get rid of him you know and she's you know that's right and then thelma kind of has to get her out of it mm-hmm and, and on the loose, they're both equals. This is a good one because they're both in the same situation. They're both dealing with the same thing. And they're totally on board with each other the whole time. Mm-hmm. And that's great. And I'm glad that there's a variety of things that happen yes. in these shorts. This short has great lines that poke fun at the attention that Todd gets over Pitts for her looks. The women both fulfill the wise woman role, getting the best of the men that take them to Coney Island. They are in this together. Pitts did not get them into trouble this time. Yep. So, in yeah, this is funny, right? This yeah. one's interesting. The women are upset because their boyfriends keep taking them to Coney Island. Mm-hmm. They, they they come home with just more and more trinkets. Yes. Yep. And it's a funny idea because, you know, people watching this in the 30s are probably like, oh, gee, what a problem. Coney Island is supposed to be fun and it's supposed to be exciting and then it's just too much of a good thing, mm-hmm. you know, and it's just kind of, yeah. you know, it, it just, they want to do anything else yeah. besides they're, go to They're Coney like, Island. we know all the turns and the twists <laughs> of every ride and, and Seizu's <laughs> yes. like, I have bruises all over my body. It looks like <laughs> I got <laughs> roughed yeah. up or something. All of, all of the... Um... All of the carnies who work the booths recognize them. Yes. They come so often. Yeah, there's a part where Thelma hustles the guy. Because yeah. he, you know, <laughs> yeah. oh, you probably don't know how to play this game. Yeah, let and me Thel- show you how it's done. And Thelma goes, oh my gosh, you're probably right. And then she just picks up the handguns. <laughs> <laughs> makes yeah. the, the guy behind the booth recognize her and she says, shh, 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 shh. And, and it's a continuous thing throughout the whole short because... There's another part later on where they're walking through 
I guess, a fun house. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Some kind of obstacle course where they yes. get knocked around and stuff like that. But at the end of it, you step across this thing that's meant to blow air underneath the women and mm-hmm. lift their dresses for a second. Yeah. And then there are clowns there with, like, I guess, shock sticks, cattle yeah. prods. Yes. Yeah, like I don't understand. Electrical. <laughs> <laughs> literally shocking any guy who walks by right um and the and the two dates are like oh let's you know Ooh, let's walk behind the ladies let's let them go first their dresses go up yeah exactly Mm -hmm. but then but obviously um (laughs) they know that that's going to happen having been to coney island a zillion times and they walk perfectly right through all of the air vents and um so that their dress doesn't go up even once and the men are like oh dang it just a step back towards the beginning of this sketch for a second the whole reason they're here was complete coincidence oh yeah but they just Mm -hmm. of course they ended up at coney island again (laughs) because they just happen to be out walking and a car drives by through some mud and gets their outfits covered in mud right so the Mm -hmm. guy feels terrible takes them to a really fancy clothes shop where the designer, by the way, is an awful idiot person. <laughs> yes. <laughs> who apparently is obsessed with the, uh, the backs- backside yes. of women. But one thing that stood out to me, it happened so quick, but I was like, what the f- was, what the, this asshole, the first guy who, who actually took them there and paid for the clothes, just started saying, Oh, well, I'll take you girls out anytime, and I'll find a boyfriend for you. Pointing to <laughs> pointing to Zesu, like just implying out of nowhere, like guaranteed. Oh, I'm going with Thelma because she's the more beautiful yeah. one. Yeah, and, it's and just... the women don't even bat an eye. <laughs> they're so they're so used to yeah. it, and I. It's so it. That's a very. I laugh so hard and because was, that's such a relatable yeah. thing. And and I feel like that part isn't even meant to be like a super funny line Mm -hmm. but it is because that guy's are you kidding me it's it's such an assumption yeah it's just funny because it's that you know this is the beautiful one and everyone just accepts it yeah delma's the pretty one you know it's Mm -hmm. and i it's very yeah yeah the other the other thing talking about that whole scene is that designer even called oh true because he was like oh say you have I can work. I can work with this. I can work with this. When he was referring to Seisu, but then when he's he he saw Thelma, he's like, "Oh my gosh, beautiful! This is perfection, basically." Yeah, and he ends up, and then I assume he ends up leaving because he's just too flustered. But yeah, so the, they go on the date to Coney Island. <laughs> they totally show up these two guys because they know every trick in the book. They go home. And they're saying, finally, we get to stay home this weekend or whatever. And then and then our two boys come in. That's right. Ooh, yeah. Laurel and Hardy. That's right. They come in. They knock on the door. Hi. We, we were wondering if we could take you out. Very sweet offer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they go, sure. You know, and, and what's so funny because, you know, Laurel and Hardy never strike it good with the ladies. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, uh, and these two are like, yes, yes. Like, we'll go out with you. And they're like... What do you want to do? They say, well, they say, I'm sorry. They say, yes, but that depends. Uh-huh. What do you want to do? 
And Laurel and Hardy said, yeah, I think Hardy says, well, we were thinking maybe we'll take you to Coney Island. And the women get up and just throw things at them. Yeah, they, they, gra- <laughs> they grab all of their old prizes <laughs> from their previous dates, which are apparently like porcelain figures or yeah. something, because they yeah. smash them everywhere. Mm-hmm. Chase Laurel and Hardy down the stairs out of the out of the building. And that's the end. It's very that's fun. a very, very good sketch. It is. It's very yes. good. So one of the ones we were going to mention, we were mention a couple more, I think, at the end here. Bargain of the Century is one that was, you know, pretty highly critically acclaimed. It was directed by Charlie Chase, who was a really good comedic actor at the time. In this short, the girls get a cop fired, and they spend the rest of their short trying to get him rehired so he will stop living with them. Oh. <laughs> it, it is very funny. The, the, <laughs> the women get pulled over by a cop. And then instead of getting a ticket, they convince him to go in with them at a bargain sale where it's only they need to get sheets and they need they need three pairs of sheets. And there's only, it's only one sheet, pair of sheet per, per customer. So they convince the cop to go in with them. Uh-huh. And then, you know, antics ensue. They get him fired. He oh. moves in with them. Wow. Yeah. So I think there was one you want to talk about, Adam. Yeah. Catch as catch can. Yeah where they are working at a call center. Yes. And first of all, completely, I could never do that because they're so good (laughs) at it. I don't understand. I couldn't even keep up with what they were saying. They were talking to each other. They were talking to to people on the phone. I'm like, what is going on? Exactly. They would just be talking. They'd be telling telling each other something, and they would just say hello out of nowhere and and then move a wire like they do. And continue in oh, Great performances. Absolutely. Yes. It's it, being able to do that and keep it straight and get the line straight. Yeah. And looking and knowing when they're talking on the phone, talking to each other, That's mm-hmm. that takes a lot of talent. Yeah, seriously. And then um, this wrestler happens <laughs> upon the area and, and gets, he's very homesick. He's a farm boy and he doesn't want to be in the city. He doesn't want to be wrestling anymore. And finds out that uh, Zaysu is also a farm girl. And doesn't want to be really in the city anymore. She's there for her friend and all that stuff. But mm-hmm. he's trying to figure out how to get Zaysu to to like him, you know, which is kind of kind of funny. In this episode, Zaysu's kind of the the sought after one by yeah. by this mm-hmm. guy just because of who she is, rather than her being the prettier one, mm-hmm. quote unquote. But Thelma tells him like, "Oh, she see that hat in the window? She's been wanting that hat for weeks and weeks." You should get her that, and he does. It's like, oh, that's, and that's such a classic thing. Yeah, like, I have done that for all my sisters. Mm-hmm. I've done that, you know, where I tell the guy, "Hey, this is a good gift. You should get her this." Mm-hmm. That's such a th- we do that. Yep, yep. <laughs> and and us men appreciate that. <laughs> I'll say that right now. It's very helpful. Mm-hmm. So he does that, and also invites them to his championship wrestling match. And so they go, and they have to sit with the most ash- asshole-ish crowd that there has ever been. <laughs> yes. Meanwhile, this wrestling match is going on, which is very slapstick and hilarious. Our farmer boy goes up for his match and, and you know, tries to find Zesu in the crowd and all that stuff. He said, I'll find you where the hat I got you. Mm-hmm. And she tries to wear the hat, but the people behind, the person behind her gets so upset about it because he's a short guy and can't see over her with the hat on and they throw it away into the like 
And she goes in after the hat. Yeah, she she ends up mm-hmm. getting all dirty and stuff, climbing under or yeah. going under chairs and all mm-hmm. that stuff. But then finally, the wrestler sees her in the crowd. He's losing pretty bad because mm-hmm. he hasn't found her yet. So he finally sees Zesu in the crowd. Which I think it's funny how he ends up seeing her because she actually has a mouse or something run up her dress. And so she screams. Yeah, and he finally <laughs> and so notices that's her. that's how he notices her. Yep. Then he kicks his opponent's butt because he's, oh, right. my girl's watching me. I'm going yeah. I'm gonna win now, and, and he ends up winning. But <laughs> then it ends very, very hilariously where they run up on the, the ring and gives him a big hug, and it's like, wow, you did it. You're the champion. And then that same mouse comes scurrying <laughs> up on the, on the wrestling, wrestling mat. De- the mat, I don't know what you call yeah. it, the ring. And he screams and faints. <laughs> the end. Yep. And it's and it's great because there's that flip this you know flip it over. Right. Yeah. Obviously, we just saw Zaysu be afraid of this mouse, even though I mean, it cr- who, she, yeah, who she can didn't blame faint. her? Yeah. <laughs> she didn't even faint. Yeah, she didn't faint, and who could blame her because it was literally crawling on her, which was horrifying, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I do appreciate this one. Not only for those kind of jokes, but it's nice to see Zaysu get kind of the bigger role in yeah. this one. Yeah. Thelma doesn't have that much yeah. to do in this one because it's not really her mm-hmm. yeah. her place. And it time. is. It's so relatable. I, I, I'm imagining myself in that situation, and I probably would go after the hat. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I, would, pro- I would. I would probably do all of that stuff. Yeah. Be like, <laughs> a guy you like has yeah. gotten you this hat yes, that I would. you also I would, like. I would probably go, I would probably go to the lengths of what she does, yeah. like, trying to get the hat back. Mm-hmm. I feel like I would have just went to the middle, because it seemed like there were some aisle ways. Right. I would have just gone to the aisle way and screamed yeah. for him. While watching, I wanted to punch that guy behind her i was oh, just yeah. so over that guy mm-hmm. this this older guy who yeah. just refused but not only just he didn't like say hey take off your hat i can't see yeah he was just taking it off of yeah. her he was every yeah. time yeah. she put it on he would just yeah. he would just grab it himself and put it down and then finally threw it like w- it's like it's the like, property what would have happened personal right. space what, what would have happened if a taller guy sat in front of him would he have said anything Probably not. Nope. Mm-mm. And it's like that. That sucks. It's so rude and awful to do that. It's a good. It's a good point. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> so after seventeen shorts together, Zaysu left Hal Roach Studio. She was soon replaced with Patsy Kelly, who, in her own right, again we've said this before, mm-hmm. who, in her own right, was very funny alongside Thelma Todd. They continued to make shorts until 1935. What are your what are your like just thoughts about them together and I I really really like their dynamic. Um I think it works then and it, I think it would work again today. I'm sure there have been similar ones. Yeah. You yeah. know, like you too. <laughs> just kidding. But I think I think it's a great pair and I think both of them are very funny in their own way and I would even say that they're funny on their own. You know, which is true. They've mm-hmm. done their own stuff, and they are funny then too. But them together brings it to a new level, not only in comedy, but this these kinds of scenarios that are more relatable to a different audience, being mainly women 
and and still funny to me too because I can see it. I'm like, because mm-hmm. you guys have said, you know, you tell me stories about how it, how you have to deal with these kinds of things even now, right? <laughs> and and I hear them and I and I understand what's going on and I really really hope that I'm that I never do anything like that. First of all, for the record, <laughs> but but seeing it, hearing it from you guys, and then seeing a similar situation portrayed in these sketches and being able to see the injustice from these bumbling men and try and seeing how these really confident and strong women deal with it is, is great. And I, even though I'm not technically the target audience, I find it very, very funny. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I don't know. I think that's, I think that's great. I think that they wanted men to like it. Yeah. So the mm-hmm. fact that, you know, you do like it is great. Yeah. Right. I think it's awesome. I enjoyed being able to relate to both of of the women. Yeah. Because I feel like we're all a, a kind of a combination. We're not, yes. yeah. you know, we're all different. So there's things that we can relate to that Thelma does and some things that we can relate to that Absolutely. Right. We does. all want to be like Thelma. Yes. And and a lot of us are a lot like Zezu, you yes. know. Yes. I mean, I totally understand everything that she does. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. I get it. Then there are times when, when it comes to being women, being there for each other, I can be like Thelma if I have to be that way. Yeah. I, you know, and, that, and that's, that's pretty much, I think, every, no one is going to be exactly one or the other, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. I, I'm very grateful for them. Honestly, I, th- I think that without them female women in comedy wouldn't be the same thing it as would, it is now. Yeah, I was just going to say it would be a completely different atmosphere nowadays. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's obviously it's not perfect. Yeah. But I think no. we'd be a lot further behind. They didn't set out to prove a point. They set out to just make people laugh and they just did it. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah. that's awesome. We can see that it was important now. We recognize that. But at the time, they just did what they wanted to do. Yeah. And it was great. Yeah. And, you know, I think it was great that Hal Roach thought about, you know, women watching and how important representation would be to them. Oh, yeah. You know, and reaching that audience. I think obviously he wanted it because he wanted more money. Yeah. <laughs> he wanted women to go, you know, he That's wanted a women. major yeah. thing. And, but also, you know, being able to see yourself and these people is great. Mm-hmm. And I think they had a lot of fun. So, you know, and if it weren't for them things would probably be different. Mm-hmm. So I think it's important for people to know about them. I'm glad we talked about them today. So I'm going to talk about something a little different, and it's going to be a little a little bit of a different tone than the rest of the episode. <laughs> so... All right. If you were to Google Thelma Todd, the first thing that you're going to see is not that she was one of the best female comedians in film history. That's not what she, <laughs> that's not what's going to come up. Unfortunately not. Unfortunately, that's not really what she's 100% known for. In 1935, when Thelma Todd was only 29 years old, she was in lots of shorts. She was doing really well. She owned a cafe. She was divorced. She'd recently divorced her husband. So every single day Thelma Todd at his, her house was basically down the street from her cafe and she parked her car 
at, at her house in her garage next to the car of a man that was kind of living with her that who, who was also kind of married to somebody else. Mm-hmm. His name was Roland West. And uh, so what she would do <laughs> is that she would, she hated walking between the house and the cafe. <laughs> so she would park a car outside the cafe. She'd go upstairs and she slept above the cafe. Oh. She would park a car outside. Um, an employee would get in the car, drive it. They would leave the garage unlocked, leave the key in the ignition, and they would go home. On December 16th, her maid came to put packages in the car and to drive it down to the cafe to go get her. And she went to the garage. It was unlocked. She opened the passenger door. And Thelma Todd was dead in the car mm. with the door open on the driver's side mm. and the key in the ignition. Oh, my. Yes. This was very surprising. And uh, so here is, I'm just going to read, this is a little uh, excerpt from an article in the LA Times right after it happened. So, Because Ms. Todd, within the past few months, had been the recipient of several extortion notes threatening her with death unless she paid $10,000 and because no apparent reason existed for her taking her own life, investigating officers desperately sought an answer to the mystery of her death. Coagulated blood marred the screen of the comedian's features and stained her mauve and silver evening gown and her expensive mink coat when she was found. This was a huge mystery. She was a very big star and they ruled it a suicide by carbon monoxide poisoning. They said that she had left the key in the ignition and suffocated. But there was blood on her face. Yeah. So, people don't think <laughs> that she committed suicide. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot of people think she was murdered. It's unfortunate that this is the thing that a lot of people know her for. Mm-hmm. But it is important. It's very sad. And no one, it's an unsolved mystery. No one knows who murdered her. Some people think it was her ex-husband. Some people, because he was allegedly a gangster and worked for Lucky Luciano, Mm. who was a very famous mobster at the time. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She obviously, as we heard in the article, she was receiving death threats from an unknown source. Some people think maybe it was that person, someone who might have been stalking her. Some people think it, people were trying to get her to put gambling tables in her cafe, and she said no because she didn't believe oh, in it. interesting. And so some people think that maybe those people killed her because of it. And some people think that it might have been Roland West's wife. Mm. Yep. So we are not, we don't talk about true crime. And I and I'm not going to pretend that we do, <laughs> but that's just if we're going to talk about her, we're just going to mention that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this is you know, it's it's a little bit of a rough topic. It's a shame. She was only 29, and even though she was only 29, she was she appeared in 120 features. Wow. That's crazy, man. Yeah. Damn. Think about how old she must have been when she started. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. give or take 18, right? Yeah, not very old. So all of that in 
that short of a time is outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. So we're not going to end on such a sour note. It yeah. is pretty sad. <sighs> but I just want to say before we close out, you know, I made a list here. Let's see. Today we have Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and Broad City's Abby and Alana. Before that, there was Laverne and Shirley. And of course, Lucy and Ethel. Mm-hmm. But none of that might have been possible without Pitts and Todd. So yeah. today we are saying thank you to Pitts and Todd. Thank you to Hal Roach. And we're grateful that they existed. And that's it. Thank you. (sighs) (laughs) What an episode. Thank you, Robin. (laughs) Uh, um, What a roller coaster we went on. Absolutely. Hey, go check out some of these shorts, why don't you? They're very, very good. We have a playlist put together of a bunch of them yeah on youtube so you can watch yeah, it and so while they're still up there go ahead and watch it so do it <laughs> do it real quick fast. before somebody snatches those because yeah. they are for sale on amazon but you have to buy the hard copy well yeah so well we, so. why don't you just if if you if you're so inclined to do that <laughs> yeah. the audio is probably better yeah, yeah. go all yeah. in but go check it out we'll have it on our blog yeah so thanks for listening, everybody. If you want to follow us on Instagram, we're on Instagram as, at Black Case Diaries Podcast. We're on Twitter at Black Case Diary. We have a Patreon, patreon.com slash Black Case Diaries. We've got a website, blackcasediaries.com. And if you want to tell a friend about us, we'd really appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And thank you. Or just tweet at us and say, good job. Or yeah. a smiley face. Yep. Or a frowny face. I don't know. Yep. Your favorite emoji. <laughs> it doesn't even have to do with anything. Just what's your favorite? Just tweet it at us. I want to see it. Yeah. And if you do go check out these shorts, let us know what you think. Yeah. yeah. Please. That would be awesome. Or if you've seen them before or if you haven't seen them before, let yeah. us know. Yeah. And if there's something else you want us to cover, let us know. Yep. All right. Good night. Thanks. Bye bye. Looks like we're going to be all dressed up and no place to go. What you mean, no place to go? I'll take you two girls out any day you like. Oh. And bring a boyfriend for you, too. Oh, really?